a bit of a sit-down with an afternoon espresso. I need the jolt of caffeine even though it's hot and I'll just have to deal with it. Hot it is outside. According to the weather station, it's 99 out in the garden and 90 on the screen porch. Blind Hog is out running around the yard on the old Cub Cadet mower. 16 years old, that would make John Cameron Swayze proud. It ain't much to look at, but it gets the job done. I know, I have that fancy push mower, and even though it's self-propelled, it is just too darn hot for me to mow. Not that there is all that much to mow. The rain is still few and far between. Blind Hog only needs to run around and hit the shady spots where the grass is still growing. There are brown patches out there that he can well avoid. It shouldn't take him too long. We had just walked down to the mailbox and back, hence my sweaty t-shirt. I got a box from Penzi Spices and the mail delivered today, and I needed to go down and bring it home. Caraway seeds, cinnamon, star anise, herbs de Provence, you know, all the important things that I've been running low on. I spent the morning in the kitchen and made a tome-style cheese today. Basically a farmer's cheese, but I'm trying a new type of culture to make it. A mesophilic-thermophilic blend, MA-4002 instead of MA-4000. I'm also continuing to use the low-weight instructions to press the cheese and following the pH recommendations. So far, so good. There are about a dozen or more cheeses aging in the fridge already, and I cannot wait to try the more recent ones. While the cheese was in process, I went in the garden and picked as much as I could. Chopped up a big bowl of vegetables, any and all summer squash that could be picked, and I made another batch of ratatouille, which I pureed with the immersion blender. We had some on pasta for lunch, and I thought it was delicious. I still had five full quarts that went in the pressure canner. The canner was already hot and ready to go. Yesterday afternoon, we ran into the big city, and I saw some wonderful-looking sockeye salmon, wild caught from Alaska just the way I like it, and, better yet, under $10 a pound. I bought a tray of the sockeye and a tray of cod fillets, likewise sourced. This morning I cut the fish up into pieces and soaked it in a brine. An hour later I drained them well and packed the pieces into little 8 ounce squat mason jars. A bit of alderwood smoked salt on top and into the canner they went. We ended up with a dozen jars of canned fish, ready for salads and some other meal. True, fish on the grill is lovely, but sometimes you just want convenience, and canned salmon is just that. 
This'll be the first time I canned cod, but it looks the way I expected it to. Cod flakes mixed in with mashed potatoes, plockfischkür, is Icelandic comfort food and a real treat. If you have never tried it, you need to. One jar of cod did not seal, and I'll use it tomorrow for tuna cod salad at lunch. Celery from the garden, duke's mayo, and a bit of onion. I know it'll be delicious. The purple-green beans have now come into their own. It reminds me of the Forrest Gump memes. And just like that, the garden went from zucchini to green beans. So many green beans. Seven pints were canned and on the shelves now, and that was just from the first big picking. We sold some goat kids earlier yesterday to folks from Arkansas. Five dolings and the black Spanish buck, all headed to their new ranch. This year's Spanish kids will be the last 100% pure Spanish goats now that I've sold the buck. The buyer took five of the nine dolings we had, leaving me with the four that are all solid black. I'll most likely keep these girls as replacements. The buck had done something stupid the night before his departure from the farm. He forced his head and horns through an opening in a woven wire cattle panel gate that had been partially pulled open. I'd left it partially open. And he was caught around the neck. I was milking the goats and saw him standing stock still, not moving. He had a depressed posture, his head and tail hanging low. I knew something was wrong. In between milking the dairy girls, I walked over to investigate. Caught fast, he was not happy. Nor could he move much. If he happened to pull the cattle panel over to the fence, it would contact the hot wire and he would get shocked. I left the girls for a few minutes and ran down to the house to get the big bolt cutters and a can of screw worm spray as I noticed his ears were also torn in half. Now, if he had put his head through the middle of the panel as if he was trying to force his way through it, I might could understand, but no. He had got his head caught in an opening right on the edge of the panel. Like, dude, what were you thinking? Obviously, he wasn't. With his head caught in the fence, I sprayed his ears, which looked terrible with their shredded raw meat edges, got the bolt cutters up by his head to clip the wire on the outside. One cut was enough and he was able to bend the wire and get himself free truth is, after I made that first cut, he sprang forward and bolted, pushed the panel, jerked his head sideways as he fell, and bent the wire to release himself. Goats. Well, that reminds me of another goat 911 emergency we had recently. A couple weeks ago, we noticed one little kid had a swollen face. I grabbed him up and palpated, expecting the swelling to be jiggly and soft like bottle jaw, a side effect from anemia caused by heavy parasite worm infestation. No, this swelling was rock hard, plus there were a couple 
scabbed over wounds beside his mouth. I thought of Caseus lymphadenitis at first, CL for you other goat people, but dismissed it. The wound location was not quite right. Snake bite, more likely, I figured, and it made more sense. The kid was grazing off the ground and probably got too close to a poisonous snake, being young and not having the knowing to avoid the danger noodles. In all our years of goats, we have not had, knock wood, any cases of CL, which, if you had it in your herd, you would know it. The lymph nodes enlarge and fill with a toothpaste-like pus. The swellings will rupture, and thus the disease is spread to your other goats. And, as I've read, it can spread to people, too. Typical locations for the swellings are under the head, in the armpit of the goat, and the flank areas. There is a vaccine, however, if you later test your herd for CL, your animals will test positive if they've received the vaccine. This little goat was treated with injections of dexamethasone for the swelling and penicillin G procaine for any secondary infection, which is probably like the protocol a person might receive, and after five days the swelling was all but gone. This was the first time I've ever seen a goat suffer so due to a snake bite. Sam found two copperheads the other evening right alongside the house. He alerted us with his imperative bork borking, and I transferred the snakes into the woods one at a time using the snake tongs. Again, there is that distinctive smell from copperheads, their own defensive musk, which I've noticed. It's been quite a year for snakes. We've been running three breeding herds of goats, and frankly, I'm getting a bit tired of keeping everything separated. Farm smarter, not harder. And now that the Spanish buck is gone, the Savannah twins, Fred and George, will cover the Spanish and the commercial goats. Grady can have the Dairy Queens until he, too, is eventually sold. We're really trying to focus ourselves down to a good, hardy, dependable meat goat herd. The goat mamas and the kids are already back into one big group. Fawn and Bluebell, the oldest of the Spanish goats, have leather collars and big bells. Sister, a yearling, also has a collar and a bell. She is a good goat lieutenant, coming when called and following me around, which in turn will get the others to fall in behind. Sister was also so proud when she got her bell. It is like she knew she was being promoted. But Acorn, why just not keep the pure Spanish goats as your meat goats? Well, good question. Been there, done that. The Spanish goats are fine as meat goats, but kids from a crossbred match will grow faster and bigger because of the hybrid vigor. Something I definitely want to take advantage of. So, a motley herd it will be from now on. We missed the Perseid meteor shower this month, just too many clouds. Almost missed that Neowise comet too, clouds again in the way, but I did get a late look at it. 
When the Dragon capsule separated from the International Space Station, it took several orbits around the world leading the space station, and Blind Hog and I were able to go out and see it. I took pictures, or tried to. Back in the days of the space shuttle, we had seen both the ISS and the space shuttle fly overhead shortly after separation. It was really something impressive to see. You can sign up and get alerts to spot the station from your location. Just Google spot the station and follow the link to the site and sign up. I always wave when I see the space station fly overhead. Don't judge. I use the smartphone mostly for taking the pictures. Fumbling with the Nikon out in the field, trying to adjust for the exposure for the comet, I heard a crinkle crinkle in the grass behind me and figured it was a goat. But in the dark? Unlikely. I turned around and it was a skunk. I put the flashlight on and off it scurried, wobbling back and forth as it ran up the trail. I'm not sure if it was the same skunk Sam got a few days later outside our bedroom window. That green cloud of noxious gas rolling in through the open windows. Gah! Luckily, skunks are few and far between. They do have a territory and travel all through it, staying at a den here or there for a few nights before moving on to the next. More fun facts? You can smell skunk spray over a mile away. Unless you are a member of the one in a thousand people club who cannot detect skunk aroma. Imagine going through life and never smelling a skunk. I wonder if these are the same people who think cilantro tastes like soap. Skunks used to be classified in the weasel family, but no more. They have their own family now. Mephididae, which means stinks. The ability to shoot their stinky spray up to 10 feet from their anal glands garnered them their own family. This is a trick that weasels cannot do. And watch that cigarette when you're out in the woods at night. Skunk spray is also flammable. Back when we lived in the North Carolina mountains, we had a spotted skunk come up to the porch once. These are the smaller, cuter skunks who will do a handstand as a defensive posture to warn you of incoming spray. It was so cute and was hard for us to stop laughing as we tried to keep our dog Bruce from attacking it. We took Bruce to the university with us, then after teaching class, we brought him back home. Happily, Pepe Le Pew had gone. Hey there, listeners. How are you all doing? Akron is letting me take a break to remind you to check out the website www.blindhogandacorn.com. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. The number of our followers is growing, and thank you for your help. Get yourself another cup of coffee and set back for the last half of the podcast. 
I think I'll be ready to take a break myself. Well, I did finally find a couple watermelons out in the garden, hiding under the leaves of the winter squash. Lordy, that winter squash is like Audrey too. Already there are fruits the size of my head. The vines are spreading out into the pasture, and the goats and cows are leaving them alone. Goats? Leaving something growing alone? What do they know that I don't? The Galot de Seine is a preferred winter squash in France and is supposed to be sweet, tasting like a combination of pumpkin and sweet potato. They look odd enough. Pinky, salmony, peach in color, with a warty skin, and 10 to 15 pounds. They're supposed to keep up to six months, and the cooked squash is smooth and not fibrous, so it sounds like a winner to me. The summer squashes are about spent. The rhubarb has not liked the heat wave, preferring cooler summers with the highs in the mid-70s. Well, don't we all prefer summers like that? I'll need to check out the rhubarb crowns and pull away any dying leaves and give it some fertilizer and mulch. After the trouble we went through to get the new bed established, I don't need to lose it here in August. Next week it is supposed to be cooler. I'm already planning a beehive check, cleaning out the chicken coop, and perhaps too the raking out of the goat barns. All that winter hay and manure, pitchfork it up into piles, load it in the tractor, and blind hog will take it up to the compost pile. On the bare dirt floors of the barn, I like to sprinkle diatomaceous earth, lime, or even baking soda. Give the dirt floors a chance to dry and air out really well before the winter arrives. And get that compost cooking. We made a little compost pit by the chicken coop right next to where the geese live. A small food processor grinds up our kitchen scraps, speeding up the process of breaking down. When I prepped the fall veggie bed, I was able to shovel out nice, rich compost with just a few chunks. And the worms, they were everywhere. Well, caffeinated earthworms, too, as our compost is heavy in coffee grounds. The location of the kitchen scrap composting has worked out the best ever. We've tried to make cages, standalone boxes, and even tried a rolling compost tumbler. It just never seemed to do the trick. The open pit next to the chicken coop lets the hens jump in and scratch away. With Sam in the yard, we're not really worried about varmints getting in there either. Well, maybe not so much. Sam has been seen to carry off a vegetable scrap or two. The purple martins have left, taking their fledglings onwards to join the other flocks as they prepare for the big migration south. Hummingbirds, though, have swarmed to our two feeders. Eight feeder holes and about two or three birds hovering from their turn at each feeder port. We have never seen this many before. I think our neighbor Ashley, who loves wild birds, has sent her overflow down to us. 
I used my phone to take a super slow-mo video of them at the feeder. It's pretty cool to see their wings in action. This horde is emptying the feeders once or twice a day. I just learned that hummingbirds carry flower lice. These are tiny bugs that when I first saw them, I thought they were bird lice of the blood-sucking variety. You know, the little crawlies you get on your hand when you pick up a wild baby bird? Well, apparently, these tiny lice live in flowers and will use the hummingbird beaks as a method of transportation. Leaving the flower and crawling up the beak to hide in a nostril until ready to leave the bird for new flowers. Ugh, please, make sure you clean out the nectar holes on your hummingbird feeders. This is where I first noticed the critters, lots of them, crawling around the nectar holes. Who wants bugs in their nostrils? Not me. I bet you're going to check out your feeder next time and look for them, aren't you? Okay, another fun fact. You know that hummingbird tongues are forked, but did you know that they're grooved along each side and the grooves open as the tongue is extended and contract as the tongue is retracted? And so the tongue, with the opening and closing of the grooves, acts like a nectar pump. The hummer is not lapping up the nectar like a dog, but kinda sucking it in a straw. Kinda. Sorta. Well, the days are getting shorter, and I've really noticed that lately. It's been darker in the mornings, and at 8 p.m. the geese are ready to go to bed and the goats have returned back from the field. The bucks certainly know that fall is coming, and even with Blackie gone, the smell from the buck paddock is quite pronounced. I'm going to let the dairy girls dry on up here in a couple weeks, which has me dreaming already about mornings without milking chores and just a little more free time. One thing I'm wanting to do once I quit milking the goats is to go to Bentonville, Arkansas and visit the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. We were going to attend a members-only preview back in February, but that was when the dairy goats had kids and the day that Callie got one of the triplets to adopt. That would not have been a good day to have been away from the farm. Crystal Bridges recently had a big show in the spring and summer, the state of the art, and we missed it due to all the stuff going around. I still want to go down and check out their new museum space called the Momentary, which was built from an old craft cheese plant, leaving much of the exposed pipes and architecture. Alice Walton, as in Sam Walton's daughter, was instrumental in establishing the museum. I admit Blind Hog and I were both pretty snobby when we first heard about it. Oh, sure, it'll never be better than MoMA, the National Gallery, etc. What has Walmart got to do with our art museum anyway? What, you ask? <laughs> they got deep pockets, that is what. Alice also knows how to squeeze sponsors for major shows. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Snyder Trucking, Tyson Foods, the list goes on and on. Admission to the General Museum is free, with Walmart picking up the fee for visitors. 
Special shows and traveling exhibitions do have entry fees, but as members we get free admission. From our first visit, in which we were all totally gobsmacked, to now, it is a surprisingly great museum filled with old favorites and a lot of great new artworks. It takes a good three and a half hours to get there from the farm, so it's always a special occasion when we go down there. The museum has a restaurant and coffee shop, both with decent food. We have been known to partake of a meal with a local craft beer and then wander around and enjoy the artworks. The buildings themselves are architectural wonders and the sculpture grounds are well designed. They even installed a Frank Lloyd Wright house on the property, dismantling it and putting it back together on site. The Badger has said she's always loved going to the museums with us. Blind Hog and I both taught the dreaded art history classes at university, the ones where you have a huge group of students, all bored and falling asleep, having to take the class as a humanities requirement. I would try to make the class fun by discussing the lesser-known art facts about the artist, media, or subject. The commentaries Blind Hog and I make between ourselves delights her. Remembering all those trivia tidbits of this or that artist, what they did, who they despised, what really pissed them off, etc. See those red ears on that sergeant model over there? That's supposed to be wickedly sexy. That Bronco Rider sculpture? The artist was killed when the head of the sculpture he was working on fell on him, cutting an artery in his leg. And that very same rearing horse sculpture is at the Denver airport. The woman posed on this bed, artist's wife. She would only allow him to paint her and not any other woman. Well, I'm really looking forward to checking out the new space at the momentary. If we lived closer, we would definitely be going there more often. They're even going to be holding concerts and music festivals out on the grounds. In the meantime, Crystal Bridges has also been offering online Zoom classes. I've participated in two classes so far, one on self-portraits and another one on drawing your pet. I have to say, the pet drawing turned out a whole lot better than the self-portrait. I did the self-portrait using a ballpoint pen and was unable to change any of my roughened outline and guidelines, but went ahead with a pencil for Sam's picture. It's amazing what being able to erase can do. Well, I guess that's going to finish things up for this week. Thanks for stopping by, and as always, we'll see you next time. Take care. 